Live and festive in the Publix Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden, my friends. And yes, it is live. The day before New Year's, New Year's Eve day. Yes, we are live. We're going to have a full three hours of Lawn and Garden questions and the opportunity to get your question answered quickly. Because as you can imagine, the number of calls on a day like today is going to be in the slow category. And so if you have a question about your lawn, your trees, your shrubs, your flowers, your bug control, your animal control, squirrels, chipmunks, anything that has to do with the outdoor world and needs a little bit of research-based information, experience-tempered information, here we are. Actually, Frasca, you have a questioning look on your face. You just said animal control. And I did say that. So I was at the mailbox yesterday pulling yeah. in the driveway, yeah. and I thought that this was like a dark little leaf, but I looked down at my feet, and it's a dead little dark gray creature mm -hmm. um, with a short tail and a, a nose like a, like a mole. But this guy was uh, tiny. He was only maybe four inches long, and he looked like he couldn't see very well. I'd be willing to bet it was a shrew. Ah. Because ah, moles, the re reason I said this is when you, our audience could not see it, but you put your hand in front of your face, and you lengthened your hand to make a long, skinny nose. And that's what a shrew looks like. Um, they have little short tails, and they're more, than, more likely than a mole, I guess, to be above ground. And they, um, they actually don't live below ground at all, but they're, unlike a mole, which lives most of its life underground, moles live underground, right? Uh, shrews live above ground, and as do voles, and voles, both of them, uh, uh, can affect plants. Shrews, not so much. Shrews more eat insects and things above ground, and so they're not a big, bad plant eater chewer like mole, like voles are because voles will certainly chew the bottom of plants so wait let's wait until what march ashley and there will be at least a call a weekend if not two from people saying you know what i said i just touched my camellia and boom it just fell right over it's been chewed up down at the bottom it's like a little beaver chewed it up that's vole damage so so what's the difference in size between a shrew and a vole aren't they both little yeah, the little vole. I think of a vole as being a little fatter. <laughs> a little, they're they're furrier, I think, than a shrew. Um, the shrew's nose looks a great deal different because it's that long, elongated snout on it, whereas a vole's face is a little bit more mouse-like, more more compact, maybe. I'm gonna tweet a picture of this guy so people can only see what you, you gestures Ashley, you and I are doing describing you him. you would send me a picture of a dead shrew by the mailbox. He's intact, so it's the picture's mm. safe. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. I thank think, you. Thank you. Speaking of animal control, one of the animals that people have been getting all heated up about for the past uh, week or so is the coyote in Piedmont Park. Yeah, Piedmont Park, downtown Atlanta. And that does not surprise me particularly because it's been mm, 15 years ago, I guess. It's been at least that long since Teresa Shrum, who was a call screener back then, was driving into the uh, parking deck for WSB, and she said right there in the middle of the little 
street street rampway that you go up to get into the gate was a coyote. And she said, in my headlights, he just looked at me, looked at me like, hey, I'm laying here. Leave me alone. And when she blinked her headlights, the coyote got up and sort of ambled off into the brush behind WSB. So 15 years ago, there were coyotes here in midtown Atlanta, very likely associated with Ansley Park and the Ansley Golf Course and the creek and everything that goes back behind the studio about half a mile down the hill. So very likely we've had coyotes around for at least 15 years. But this one in Piedmont Park recently has been spotted during the daylight, doesn't seem to be particularly interested in humans, and is not certainly aggressive to people. But I think I heard the tail end of a news uh, report about it saying that someone had seen someone else feeding it, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do with coyotes, because coyotes are hunting animals. They need to go out and find their own food, whether it's a mouse or a rabbit or a shrew or, or uh, you know, anything else that they can get. I'm hopeful it's not including your dog or your cat, but nonetheless, they need to be able to find and kill their own food and not be fed by humans, because when you get fed by humans, you become dependent upon them, and then you become more and more likely to approach humans, and that is not something we want a coyote to do. Not that they're particularly aggressive or particularly uh, prone to attack or anything certainly like that. They're usually just sort of skittish creatures that you see a little bit of, and they fade back into the underbrush behind. But the, the rule still stands. If you see a coyote, yell, scream, try to scare it, throw rocks at it, do something to say, stay away from humans, stay out of our neighborhood, stay away from where we are. Otherwise, you get more and more uh, habituated coyotes who are in the backyard, and then little dogs and cats and chickens and things like that disappear. Of course, one less squirrel <laughs> or one less chipmunk would not be my worst outcome of having a coyote in the neighborhood. That would not be a bad thing to have a coyote there. Of course, coyotes all over Georgia right now. I think they're in all 159 counties. And when I was a kid, you certainly would never, ever, ever have thought that you would see or hear a coyote. Now, occasionally I'll hear them in my neighborhood, little yip, 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 excited yip that they have with each other. But uh, coyotes are all over the country. You know what? I bet they are down in Spalding County in Griffin, Georgia. And I bet our friend Nicole would know whether or not coyotes are down there. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Reeve. Do you have coyotes? I mean, a bunch. <laughs> Coyote Central in Griffin, Georgia. I can hear them at night um, uh, owling. And uh, when one, my cat disappeared, I know where it's at. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I have a utility building in the back, okay? One morning I go there and I said, Cut grief, look at all this digging all around it, all around it. Oh. It was a possum or something underneath. They couldn't get it. Huh. And uh, I don't think even they, they ate whatever they, they took. They're wow. carnivore. I mean, well, people's going to feed them. What are going to feed a chicken? Yeah, you feed them chicken and, and, and scraps from the table and things like that. That's what people would feed a coyote if they chose to feed mm. one, unfortunately. But, yeah, they'll eat just about anything. They'll tear into your garbage and eat your, um, you know, little pieces of French fries from McDonald's and things like that. They, they're they pretty generalist feeder. Yeah, they're mostly a carnivore, but they'll eat other things, too, including French fries and um, bugs and grubs and things like that, too. 
Like you see bear on TV in, yeah. in Alaska, they go in the dump in the place where we put the garbage. It's open. Sure. And they feed, they feed you know, That's, big time. Yes, another, another animal we don't want to be feeding. We don't want the bears to get used to uh, being around us. And, you know, raccoons, oh, my gosh, raccoons. I, you know, if there's any wild animal that scares me, and scares me because it has the potential of being a really bad animal to feed and have around the house. It's raccoons. Raccoons are mean is not quite the right word. They're territorial and they defend their territory with vigor and they have long claws and sharp teeth. And raccoons, because they fight so often, can transmit rabies very readily between a population. And if you have a raccoon that you've been feeding out behind the house and gave him a hot dog one day and all of a sudden during the day the raccoon comes up and sort of looks sort of gnarly looking with his eyes crossed and talking to himself a little bit, then that rabid raccoon can attack people and dogs and, uh, you know, horses and had one that attacked a garden tiller one time. So <laughs> you don't want to mess with raccoons. We do not ever, ever, ever want to feed a raccoon. Because they're very intelligent, okay? They'll yeah. take little bars and open doors and sure. uh, yeah. Toronto. Oh my <laughs> My friend Mary Kay Woodworth, oh my lord, she had a raccoon that was it was practically a member of the family. It would come through the cat door, and they would find the raccoon inside eating out of the cat bowl, and they put an automatic uh, electronic cat door so that only their cat could come through this door, and they found that the raccoon would just stand by the door until the cat went in, and then he would hold the door with his paws and flip right in himself. So they are intelligent. Yes, they are. They can get in a lot of places you would not think. That's why they adapt over many years, isn't it? Because they're yeah. intelligent. They're, they're intelligent, adapt. and they are adept. The little hands, the little claws, and the opposable finger down there, they can use to get into things you wouldn't think they could. They can undo latches on chicken pens and get into your chickens and do all sorts of things that even foxes and you know opossums would not ever, ever be able to do. A quick question, Mr. Reeve. Who's going to eat the turnip head? What do you the mean green. who's going to eat the turnip head? The, I mean, the the green on top of it? Yeah. Who's going to eat that? I have that in my garden. I only have the roots, no head. Deer. Deer, deer like the top of turnips. They plant uh, turnips to attract deer to those little hunting plots down in South Georgia. Anything smaller than a deer? <laughs> Ooh, I would guess a rabbit wouldn't turn up his nose at the top of a turnip. Um that's about it. Rabbits and, and deer is all I can think of. All right, all right. So uh, if you leave the turn up in the ground, is the, the tuff's going to come back? Mm, not until next spring. Not until it gets warm in March, April, maybe next year. You'll have some turn, 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 turn up top growth in March or April of next year, yeah. So the reason why there's no turn up roots in the bottom is because the top is too heavy? Sometimes. It has to do sometimes with the variety because some turnips are got lots more top than they do turnip, and some turnips are, have much more roots than they have top. And I think sometimes it depends on how heavy and wet or dry the soil is, which part of the turnip develops fastest. That's all I can think of right now that would cause them to be one way or the other way. All right, all right, because I went to a place and um, I said, can I have the roots because I eat the roots in the soup? 
He said, there's no roof. I said, boy, <laughs> the field is green, but he said, there's no roof on the ground. Yeah, yeah, it's turnip tops, turnip greens. That's what we're going to eat for for uh, lunch tomorrow. Turnip greens and black-eyed peas and cornbread and things like that to ensure wealth for the 2017 year. Who's going to cook? Maybe you. <laughs> already been done that, Mr. Reeves. <laughs> All right, you better get cooking, Nicole, because I can get out of here, and I hope you have those black-eyed peas ready for me tomorrow. Enjoy your day. We'll Happy see you New soon. Year. It's 619. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. The high today around 50 degrees. Right now it's 35.0. The temperature will rise very gradually, mid to high 40s, maybe up to 50 by the afternoon. Rain, cloudy. Clouds coming in today, of course, and rain occurring somewhere around 2, 3 p.m. this afternoon, right as the Big uh, football game over at the Georgia Dome, Alabama. Alabama will be over there playing. I intend to be home somewhere warm watching that. The full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Our phone number 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. I'll tell you one of the things that I am working on at my house is controlling, once again, the spider mites on my Meyer lemon. Many of you who listen to the show know that I've had a Meyer lemon little bush in a pot for 10, uh, well, a little bit less than that, maybe eight years. And every year I take it out in the springtime onto my patio, full sun, and almost immediately the spider mites that have been such a trouble to me during the winter indoors disappear. New leaves come on it, lots of new green leaves, and the spider mites get controlled by natural means, I think by predatory mites outside. But predatory mites do not particularly like being indoors, and spider mites really, really, really do like being indoors. And so when I brought mine in back in, I guess it was early November, I immediately started monitoring the backs of the leaves and the little joints between the leaf stem and the twigs and branches of my Meyer lemon. And last week, sure enough, sure enough, there are little cobwebs right there between a lot of the leaf stems, the petioles, and the place they're attached to on the twigs of a Meyer lemon. So I went to the garden center, and I found a product that I think may be useful indoors, and particularly on an edible plant. You know, Meyer lemon, it produces my little lemons for me. And so the product that I found is just a combination of various um, natural botanical oils. This is uh, clove oil and mint oil, maybe some canola oil, maybe some other types of oils all mixed in together. And as we know, whether or not they work on all insects, that's beside the point, but they do suffocate spider mites pretty effectively. And if you suffocate a spider mite, in my world, that is a really, really good thing. And so I took my little sprayer, came with a sprayer, and I sprayed underneath the leaves, which is where the spider mites live, and in between the leaves where those little cobwebs things are. And I uh, waited a few days and got my lens out there, my little microscope, and looked at the at the cobwebs and didn't see anything happening there. They're not moving around. Usually you can see a spider mite moving pretty well under a 10 magnification lens, but nothing moving. So I'm hopeful with some more regular applications of 
the uh, of the oils that I'll control my spider mite problem. It's 628, our number 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. in the Publix Holiday Headquarters studio at WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center, playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. And a great Saturday morning to you, everyone, at 6.35 at News Talk WSB. Yes, you bet. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful, however you define success. And if success means staying inside the house, fine. Of course, our caller in a couple of minutes has a chipmunk inside the house to keep him company. And so we'll try to uh, at least alleviate his indoor garden problem this morning. First in line, though, is Eric. Eric's out in Milledgeville and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Eric. Good morning. Yes, sir, Walter. I really enjoy your show. Thank you. I cover a lot of uh, Georgia. I'm in Milledgeville now, and I have a home in LJ, Georgia. Yeah. A couple of uh, ornamental... Um, different varieties, but ornamental uh, maples up there, and they've kind of gotten tall and spindly. I'd like to, I'd been planning to prune them this winter, and I wondered if the drought that we've had uh, affects the normal pruning that we would do, say, in February. No, I don't think so. Why would you think it would have much effect? Then? Well, I've, I've actually lost some trees up in the mountains. We're, we're on top of a hill and get good drainage when we get normal rain, but yeah. uh, we've lost some small trees uh, with the drought. And um, those are still small, the uh, the maples, and I, I wouldn't want to do anything that would stress them. Yeah. I, I mean, during the wintertime, typically, most winters, we get water and the ground gets saturated, and so roots have plenty of water to help them recover from drought uh, uh, pruning damage. Because you know this, when a tree gets pruned, it immediately, most times, wants to sprout something out or so grow new leaves in another part of the tree. If it didn't have water, then that was is a stressful thing. But by pruning in the winter or early, early spring, there's plenty of water, I think, available then for the roots to use. It's during the uh, during the summer when it's 95 degrees outside. If you don't water then, then that does stress the tree, but not in the winter. Not that I can think well, of. Great. And, uh, of course, we're getting some relief now with the rain. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. But I'm distressed to know that we're still in extreme drought here in North Georgia, Northwest Georgia. And uh, the drought restrictions still apply as far as watering. Of course, anybody can water their newly planted shrubs and trees. That's a given because that's always an exception in the in the rules. But as far as watering, you're really only supposed to water every other two weeks or two days a week. And we still have those drought restrictions. They have not been lifted because we still have pretty bad drought and the lake levels are still pretty low. Well, thank you very much. Great talking to you, Joe. Thanks for calling. Or Eric, sure. I mean. Sorry about that. Great talking to you. Eric, we'll see you soon. We've got Joe on the line, and Joe's on the line. Hey, Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? How did Chipmunk get in the house in the first place, Joe? Well, I got this cat. She loves to get little small animals and bring them up to the house and show me what she's caught. <laughs> she's so proud of them, you know. <laughs> All right. So she brought this one up and didn't, you know, just turned it loose in the house. It's been in there about a month, and I've tried to have a heart trap, you know, and yeah. they just take the bait and go on yeah. about his business. And I see him running around everywhere in the house, you know. 
If you will promise not to be mean to this chipmunk, I'll tell you a way to catch it. Okay. But you have to promise you're not going to kill it, that you're going to let it go outside, Joe. You got it. All right. Glue traps. The glue traps that you use to catch rats and mice, which I generally speaking think are cruel, unusual, inhumane, and I don't ever recommend them. But many times the chipmunk, they're a little panicky, a little cautious about going into things and generally won't go into a have a heart trap. And if you want to be humane and let the chipmunk go, all you have to do is put the put the uh, glue trap along the edge of a wall where you've seen the chipmunk go zipping past between right. the sofa and the easy chair, you know, and you put the glue <laughs> trap there, and he'll get caught. Bang! The minute his foot touches the glue, he is caught. And pretty quickly when you see him caught in the glue, take a shovel or something, go underneath the trap so you can take it outside, and then pour vegetable oil, canola oil, corn oil, Mazzola, whatever you got, uh, yeah. pour vegetable all over him. Maybe put him in a little box to get uh, uh, completely cleaned off and put some shavings or something in there so he can clean himself off. But the oil releases the glue, and then the chipmunk hopefully can go about his business and not get too stuck up for the rest of the, of the winter season. But uh, that is a way to catch one and release them from the glue and give them a, a life of something outside without you going in and beating it with a stick or something. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Good deal. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Well, that'll work. That'll work, Joe. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks for Very calling. Nice. All right. Bye. That glue trap is also a way of catching a snake inside the house. And not nobody likes to think about this, but yes, occasionally a snake will get into a basement or a uh, utility room off the side of the house where the snake was just sort of moseying along, (laughs) minding his own business, and saw a crack underneath the door or something, saw a door open as you were taking the laundry in and out, and the snake gets in, and then you call your spouse and say, Honey, we have a snake. What are you going to do about it? And the spouse, of course, comes and moves the dryer, moves the washer, tries to find where the snake is. You never find it. You never find it. But, of course, the other person in the relationship said, there was a snake. I saw the snake. It was right there in the corner of the snake. Well, if you have a snake in the basement in the utility room, take two or three of these glue traps and staple them, staple the edges to a piece of plywood, a piece of plywood about a foot and a half, two feet maybe square, and put that in the corner of the utility room and the snake when they go over it will be caught in the glue and then again you put the shovel underneath so you can carry it outside without the snake winding around and looking you in the eye (laughs) and you put him outside far away from the house and pour vegetable oil all over him and the snake will gradually loosen themselves from the glue and go about the snake's snaky business somewhere else hopefully never to come back into your basement utility room or places like that but that is a way to use use the glue traps in a way that uh, doesn't harm the animal permanently, just gives them a, probably a sense of worry for a little while because they're stuck there in the glue, but then you can let go of them after that. Our phone number, 404-872-0750. That's the number that Jake dialed a few minutes ago, and here he is. Jake's on the line. Hey, Jake, good morning. Hey, Walter, how you doing? You're doing great. How can I help? So, Walter, I think I've got wild onion. It looks like tiny little green onions in my yeah. dormant Bermuda, sure. and I have been fighting it for years. I follow the pre-emergent uh, calendar, and I don't think that's doing anything for it, or if it is, it's, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And then I've even tried painting it with your uh, Roundup trick, trying to paint that and get rid of it, and it comes back year after year after year yeah. after year, and I don't know what to do about it. Common 
question. <laughs> onions are not easy really to control. The pre-emergent that you put down doesn't have much effect on them at all because the pre-emergent keeps seeds from germinating, true enough, but the onions coming up from bulbs underneath the ground, it has the pre-emergent has little effect, if any, on bulbs underneath the ground, only on seeds on top of the ground. So the pre-emerge, not the way to go. Uh, painting them with Roundup or spraying broadleaf weed killer on them, it takes several years of painting and spraying and all that kind of stuff with most of the broadleaf weed killers. The stuff that does work, though, is the, uh, let's see, quinclorac is the active ingredient in, I can't remember if it's the Bayer product or the ortho product, but go looking around and see if you find a product that says Q-U-I-N-C-L-O-R-A-C, quinclorac, and that's one herbicidal ingredient that kills uh, onions. And that's just sprayed. It's, uh, it's soaked into the soil by rain. The other one is image for nutgrass. And image for nutgrass is another commonly available herbicide, but it's absorbed by the roots of the onion rather than by the leaves. And so you do it, heck, if you do it this morning before the rain comes this afternoon, that'd be great because you go out and put it down on the ground, the rain comes and washes it into the soil, and then the roots of the onion uh, suck it up. And it takes about ooh, four weeks probably in the winter. It takes a while before you see much damage, but all of a sudden the onion sorts of turn yellow and flop down, and that's great because you're getting most, if not all, of the bulbs underground, not just the leaves that we're seeing above ground. And if the Bermuda is dormant, will that uh, herbicide hurt it at all, or can I be pretty liberal with it? The label says use as directed, should not hurt dormant Bermuda grass at all. But, of course, you know the rule. Read the label, Jake, make sure it says what I think it says. Um, but my memory of the label says no, has no effect on dormant Bermuda grass. All right, Walter, I will read the label as, as directed. Thank if you. I'm going to, if I'm going to use one, I think image for nutgrass is the one I would use. Read the label, apply, and uh, hopefully onions on the run. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, thanks for calling, Jake. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. One of the memories that I have of onions is that in the pasture where we had our, our cows when I was a kid, we were, <laughs> we were too poor to have pasture fences. And so like a lot of people way out in the country, we had a halter that we put on the cow's head and face, neck, and a chain, a long piece of galvanized chain, about 30, 40 feet long, and a, we call it the stob, and I guess there's other names for it, a little metal stake made out of a piece of water pipe that we drove into the ground with a hammer, and put the chain, the end of the chain around the stob, and the other end of the chain was clipped to the cow's halter, and then she was left out at night to graze on the grass in the pasture because there was no fence to keep her in. So one of the things that we bad little Reeves boys would do was occasionally find a patch of onions in the pasture and think, ooh, 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 this is great, this is fabulous, this is wonderful. Because when a cow eats onions, it will taint the milk. The milk from the cow will taste a little oniony, not all that appetizing for five kids. We're all depending on at least a quart of milk per day for a kid to drink. And so the Bad Little Reeves boys would take the stob and put it somewhere near that patch of onions and tie the cow out near the patch of onions so that the next morning when my father or myself milked that cow and smelled those onions, we'd go down to Mama and say, Mama, mm, cow got in the onions. Don't know how it happened, but the milk doesn't smell good. What can we do about that? And my mother, bless her heart, 
would make a chocolate syrup. Just take regular cocoa and mix it with some water and some sugar and make a chocolate syrup and pour that into the milk. Shake it up real good. Oh, chocolate milk, my children. For two days, we'd have chocolate milk, which we would enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And my father would, you know, remonstrate with us again, saying, now, don't put the cow near the onions. You saw those onions over there, didn't you? And I, no, Daddy, we didn't see the onions. It was dark when we put the cow out. <laughs> he was suspicion that we did know where the onions were, but nonetheless, we had to be careful for the next couple of weeks not to put the cow near the onions. But sure enough, within a couple of weeks, we'd think, mm, that chocolate milk was so good. Let's put the cow near the onions again. <laughs> Yeah, devious farm boys. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. At 647, we'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. The high today, only about 50 degrees. Rain coming in this afternoon, probably about 40 to 50% chance of rain this afternoon. Right now it's 35 degrees outdoors and will gradually warm to 50. 404-872-0750 is the number. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes in News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Michael is out in Swanee and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Michael. Morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm all right, Michael. How can I help? Got a question for you. I was on a hike. I found some uh, cypress saplings, and um, I got them, and I um, wanted to know what to do with them. I wanted to plant them eventually along my creek yeah. in the backyard, because I know they grow along water. But um, right now, I just have them in a small pot with some of my uh, garden dirt in there. Yeah. And they're as tall as a straw, and about as thin as a straw right now. Yeah. Honestly, I think they're going to be happier outdoors uh, withstanding winter like they normally would underneath the old mama tree. Oh, okay. Indoors is not going to particularly help them. If you were in a greenhouse situation where you're growing a million of them, maybe you could you know, maintain the right temperature and the right light level so it can grow a little faster so you can get them off to market. But in your case, nature takes care of them very nicely outdoors. If I, if I were doing it, I would very likely have a little holding bed about four feet by four feet maybe that I'd dig up real good, have real nice soil in it, and then plant the little seedlings, oh, 10, 12 inches maybe apart from each other, and a four-by-four four bed would hold. What? Nice. What kind of, of uh, soil mixture do you recommend? Oh, man. For a... Uh... You can just use regular regular dirt that has been amended oh, okay. some with soil conditioner. You go to the nursery, get some soil conditioner, and mix it about 50-50 with clay, and you'd have a reasonably good brown soil that the seedlings could grow in for as long as you care to grow them there. You could grow them for a year. You could grow them for six months. You could grow them until next spring and put them out where you want to then. I sort of think if they're just as big as a straw right now, Michael, that they need to be a little bit bigger to withstand being tromped on and, you know, mistakenly run over by the mower and things like that. So they might need to be a little bit bigger before you put them in the permanent place. But uh, the holding bed for a while, I think, would do fine. 
All right, great. Thank you for the advice. Yeah, I think it'll work. Uh, yeah, that'll work. All right, let's say it would work, Michael. <laughs> great. All right. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. You bet. Good luck with it, Michael. Thanks for calling. I have a holding bed at the house, and uh, during the year, I sometimes get plants from the plant breeders who say, hey, how about planting this and seeing what you think about it, and then report back to us if it does well in your landscape. And so this past spring, I got one, two, three different kinds of vitex, two kinds of hydrangeas, one loripetalum, and something else. I forget now, but there are about six or seven of these plants that I had, that I got, and I thought, I don't really have a place for them right now. I'm planting some other things, and I don't want to put these in quite yet. And so I put them in this holding bed that I have next to my patio behind the house, and they were not very far apart. They were maybe 12, 14 inches apart from each other, and during the summer, they grew like crazy in this bed, so they were at least Mm, three feet tall, three feet wide, I guess, by the time I dug them up last week and transplanted them over to a friend's house who had a place behind the pond in the backyard that I thought, that'll be perfect for three Vitex right there. One, two, three, and the hydrangea on the corner. Bang, boom, did it. That little holding bed was the whole key to the whole experiment because I could hold them there and be healthy and then not have to uh, worry about them during the summer too much until I planted them right now in the winter. Our number, 404-872-0750. We'll be back right after news. Dear, how much I love. 